0: What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day a true proletarian revolution. But until we see that glorious day, I am your host, Josh, and welcome to, as I said, in defense of liberation if this is your first time popping by I just want to say thank you very much from the bottom of my heart it really really does mean a lot and I hope that this episode is worth listening to um, I also would like to say if this is you coming back uh, I appreciate that as well And I'm very glad that I was able to make anything that was worth coming back to listen to another version of. Um, But yeah, so I'm starting off the morning pretty good. Um, Last night when I was out getting food, um, I swung through the Starbucks parking lot or the Starbucks drive-thru. And uh, they had fucked up. A pumpkin spice cold brew um, and they just gave it to me. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so I saved it and now I'm drinking it. So I'm pretty happy. Um, so we're going to use the happiness that very rarely ever, uh, you know, stays for more than five seconds in my brain uh, to talk about the fact that what it is that we are trying to build towards right, we as socialists, we as communists, is a future that is filled with support, with enthusiasm and courage, with skill, with, you know, community, and I think that a lot of us, you know... I make the joke about happiness not staying for long, but I think a lot of us would be able to say that we at least struggle on a moderately frequent basis with um, depressing feelings, with anxiety. Um, A lot of folks deal with many uh, mental illnesses. And I think also we forget that mental illnesses can develop and due to the fact that many of us have to live a life that we don't really have much connection to, right? Like for example, a lot of us work retail jobs or random nine to five jobs just to be able to pay our bills. But it's not like we really give a shit about what those jobs are doing. Um, And it's not really like we actually want to be uh, somewhere we don't want to be eight hours out of the day, five to seven days a week. Um, It's just, you know, it, it creates a feeling of helplessness. And I think also... society outside of maybe your workplace or where you go for your education, I think that too is, for many, um, draining, um, boring, uh, monotonous, I find myself quite often incapable of, you know, finding a TV show to watch or finding a movie and being able to have the patience to sit still and watch it. Um, I find that, you know, a lot of the events going on in my area I don't really have a particular interest in. Um, I find that, you know a majority of what exists in my area for entertainment is all really consumer based. Like for example, we have two malls within 30 minutes. Um, they each kind of really suck. Um, but I mean, that's one thing you can do. There's movie theaters, there's uh, other things in the area that you can do But, you know, the majority of them <laughs> Cost money And not for fucking nothing But I don't have extra money To just go do shit That costs money So, you know, I can at least speak for myself In saying that A lot of my life is not The best It's not awesome That's for sure But the future that we are trying to build can be. And the only way that we're going to get to that future is through hope. Now, I'll tell you what. One thing I've never gotten down is hope. That's, you know, I am one of the most pessimistic people you'll meet. It's a really bad thing, actually. Uh, But... You know, having hope for anything is incredibly difficult for me. So, I'd like to say that this conversation is one that's also something that needs to, you know, um, make its way into my psyche to an extent that I, you know, am able to muster on a day-to-day basis. Because, you know, even if we are hopeful, that doesn't mean every single day we can or should have to You know, wake up and be the most positive person on the face of the planet. But anyway, hope is revolutionary in this sense because as the neoliberal world has, you know, made its way and sunk its teeth into the, you know, the flesh and blood of. The working people for the last few decades, there is this sense of powerlessness, there is this sense that we have to just basically grab at whatever they're willing to give us, right? So, someone like Joe Biden, uh, you have... You know, millions of people my age, um, folks who have gone through more than uh, the, the wars that I've endured, more than the, you know, economic collapses and recessions that I've endured, who still campaigned for Joe Biden, who still, after Bernie dropped out, um, well, dropped out. I mean, after Bernie had the, the election kind of swiped from him, basically, uh, again. We can understand then that in this sense, this powerlessness, right? It makes us just hope in a non-revolutionary way that these individuals and politicians who, I mean, Joe Biden's been in government for 30 years. We know what his game is. We know what, whose side he's on and we still elected him. But you, you have this hope that these supposed representatives are going to give us what we need, right? Right? We had that hope with Bernie Sanders. But we have to have revolutionary hope. Because revolutionary hope tells us, no, we can do much more than Bernie Sanders. We can do much more than uh, Elizabeth Warren. We can do much more than Joe Biden or Donald Trump or whomever you think ...is going to come in and solve our problems. We have to have a revolutionary hope... ...which is not first and foremost misplaced... ...in individuals or individual groups disconnected from the masses. But we the people need to have revolutionary hope... In ourselves. In the working and oppressed peoples. Because here. As Marx pointed out. As Lenin has pointed out. And as the working people of the world have pointed out for generations. The working class. The proletariat. Is the most revolutionary class in history. And so. Therefore, it is the working and oppressed proletariat who must be the guiding force, who must be the power behind whatever political, social, or economic change that is to come. Because let's talk about an example here. So let's say someone like Bernie Sanders gets into office. What does this guarantee us, right? Well, we know that it guarantees us a lot of stalemate. Because, now I'm not saying Bernie Sanders is some radical socialist. But if Bernie Sanders were to even engage in attempts to tax the rich, to give health care to all, to give, you know, jobs and housing a guarantee, the forces which make up the majority of the ruling class would stop him from being able to do so. Because, just like Lula in Brazil, right we have a ruling class which is organized and has its interests in direct contradiction to something like economic reforms. As we've discussed before, the ruling class does not just have power for power's sake. They do not just have big pads on. They have power for the sake of wealth accumulation. So, a tax bill or economic, land, housing, health care reform removes the ability for those ruling class individuals to make as much profit as before. Capitalism does not develop backwards there is here a class struggle between the ruling class interests and the working class's interests as time progresses forward one side has its you know force overwhelming the other side so at this point in time in the last 40 years capital has been able to win over labor nine times out of ten that's why unions are almost non-existent that's why the working class has no guarantees to things like retirement housing foodstuffs health care etc that's why many of us see more than 50 percent of our income go towards just bare naked necessities um And that is if, you know, 50%, you're talking probably you, yourself, and I. Whereas, if you're talking a family, you're talking 70-80% of your income is going towards housing, groceries, clothing, gas, education, and school supplies, etc. That is such a burden On the working class. But history has shown us again that the proletariat is the most revolutionary class so we must have hope because time and time again against all odds the working people of the world have risen up at their decisive moment and have won many incredible gains For themselves and the working people of the world. But let's talk about this. Because to have hope is good and well. But to have hope means that there has to be something worth being hopeful in. So, one thing that we can be hopeful in. Is a proletariat of, and I say educated. Not to mean folks who went to university or who graduated high school, but educated in the struggle, recognize what will be able to attain them the things that they need and what will not. That is what I mean by educated. We want to have a mass of people who are educated in the struggle and are willing to act not just speak, but to act and do what they need to do by any means necessary to achieve the goals that they themselves have set in place. But speaking historically... And I would like to say that as Marxists, we must remember that one of the most monumental tools of Marxism is historical materialism. Speaking historically, the working and oppressed proletariat is only able to come to what is called a trade unionist consciousness ...by its own accord. So what the fuck does that mean? Josh, you just did an episode the other day... ...where you said... ...ignorant people are not ignorant by their own choice. Their consciousness is dictated by a ruling class. And now you're saying that the working class... ...can be conscious enough to get to the point of trade unionism... ...but they can't go a step forward... What the hell are you trying to say? The working and oppressed people disconnected and alienated from their labor, alienated from each other, and alienated from society are only capable in recognizing their own material and short-term gains as a necessity for their survival. Whereas a scientific socialist or a communist believes that the working class does not need to simply ask the already existing ruling class for the concessions and for the gains, such as health care, such as higher wages such as paid time off. But in fact, we believe that the working class can and should amass itself and organize itself into a force which is actually capable of taking state power and enacting its will on the mode of production and accumulation. Because at this point in time, You have a mode of production which is based off of the inequality and exploitation of the working class. You and I work in order to build, produce, distribute, and sell every single commodity which makes our bosses and our ruling class wealthy beyond our wildest dreams. And yet, being the very builders of this society, the working and oppressed people of the world are commonly incapable of feeding themselves on a day-to-day basis, finding reliable and affordable health care being guaranteed to what we should be calling human rights, such as housing, such as clothing, such as a proper education. And the mode of accumulation, as we can see here, is directly in contradiction to the mode of production, which is dominated and acted upon by the working class And yet, the mode of accumulation siphons the profit and the surplus labor and value into the hands of the already extremely wealthy and powerful ruling class. There is a direct contradiction between production and accumulation. And therefore, we recognize that ultimately... The workers will eventually come to a a place and a consciousness where they recognize this as such. We are seeing that today. 60,000 Hollywood actors and other uh, uh, members of the movie and film uh, um, profession are going on strike thousands of Kellogg workers in the four plants across the United States are going on strike. Union Met Coal is still on strike seven or eight months down the road. You have had all kinds of pop-up strikes, for example, with Uber, uh, DoorDash, and other uh, um, driver jobs. You have seen attempts by Amazon Fulfillment Center workers in Alabama to unionize. And what does this all mean? Well, it means similar to the 20s and 30s, the working class is becoming keenly aware that the slice of pie which the billions of the world have been given out of the overall pie which we have baked and the ruling class has stolen is becoming slimmer and slimmer. And the more people that we need to share that with, the harder it's going to be for the majority, majority of us to have what we need. So similar to the early years of the 1900s, the working people are fighting for survival. But again... We talked at the beginning of the episode that we don't need to just have hope in politicians or individual groups like the Democrats or the Republicans. We need to have revolutionary hope in the working class. We cannot have hope in a union and economist struggle which failed us not only a hundred years ago here in the United States but failed the Russian working class, the German working class, the French working class, the British working class, the Italian working class, the Portuguese, the Greek, the uh, uh, the Turkish, the working classes of the world have built incredible unions, have built Well, I won't say revolutionary, but radical movements that have fought tooth and nail against the status quo, against the ruling class, but here's where they've stopped shy. They have stopped shy of retaining state power for the working and oppressed people. The consciousness that the working and oppressed people will come to will be one where they are militant enough to fight with arms, for example the battle of Blair Mountain against their bosses and employers but they will not turn to the rest of the working class and fight arm in arm for a socialist society out of a pure uh, heightening of consciousness by their own individual uh, uh, choices, the working class as a mass does not even often accomplish such uh, um, such feats without a revolutionary guiding group, which is able to instill Marxism and is able to instill revolutionary communism, strategies and tactics which have failed and succeeded over the years, and use this information to bring the working and oppressed people to an even higher level of consciousness, which is keenly aware that at the end of the day, if we are fighting mainly trade unionist and economist struggles, This leaves the ultimate deciding factor and the power of change in the hands of our oppressors. No matter if we're asking them with a handshake or a gun in their face, we're still asking them. And so, the level of consciousness which the working class must attain in order to achieve the goals which it ultimately requires is a proletarian revolution. And we started this episode by talking about hope, by talking about revolutionary hope. And now I think we should have hope in history because history has shown us time and time again that when given the tools to do so, the working and oppressed people are more than capable of attaining state power and wielding the dictatorship of the proletariat for the benefit of the whole working class. The Soviet Union has shown us this. China has shown us this. Vietnam has shown us this. North Korea, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea more uh, correctly has shown us this. Nicaragua has shown us this. And many other countries have shown us what a radical movement of trade unionists and economists is able to do. What a worker-led <clears throat> social democratic movement Can look like, but we have to understand that in this case, you are mainly and only setting aside your oppressors. You are not removing them from the equation. And so, like we saw in Chile, like we saw in Brazil, like we saw in Colombia and Bolivia and Peru like we saw in Burkina Faso, in South Africa, in Egypt, what happens? Eventually, the ruling class usually thanks not in the, you know, a small amount from the CIA and other US State Department agencies. But eventually the forming the formal The former, holy shit, the former oppressors will come back. And they will come back with guns. They will come back with aircraft carriers. They will come back with napalm. They will come back with drones, right? What continuously happens to the Palestinian people when they decide to fight against the constant bombardment by the Israeli occupying apartheid state. What happens when they fight back? Israel tries to genocide the Palestinian people. So what do you think will happen, right, in the what many would consider, at least has been, the central point for imperial and capitalist oppression the United States, how do we think they will respond to even a trade unionist struggle? Well, if only we had a hundred years of history in this country to teach us what happens when we try to go about that. We even had a major communist party in this country which was incapable for many different reasons of seizing the opportunities which existed in the United States for building a revolutionary movement. Now, there was incredible attempts at revolutionary movements. The communists throughout the South, what we know as the black belt of black and brown workers, which is detailed quite well in the book Hammer and Ho, they did incredible work throughout the South fighting Jim Crow oppression, fighting capitalist exploitation, fighting imperial and world war politics, right, and militarization, and police repression, and lynchings, and segregation, and a lack of education, food, shelter, clothing for black and brown people. But we must understand here that it was not enough. We have to take it a step further. I will never stop plugging Jones Manuel on YouTube. He puts out great content. Which has incredible importance to the active revolutionary struggles taking place in Brazil right now, being led in many parts by the Brazilian Communist Party, the PCB. But he says, just like Lenin said, just like Mao said, just like Marx and Engels said, that we cannot stop at the compromise between capital and labor. We must have a revolutionary moment where labor is able to surpass capital, where the proletariat, the working and oppressed people are able to overcome and overthrow the ruling class, which will and only will be able to give the masses what they need, because here's what we don't need. We don't need the workers of the global north continuing to live a beneficial and better life than the remaining millions and billions of workers in the global south, because they fight for not a revolutionary communist movement to overthrow the ruling class of the world, but they fought for health care and for higher wages. But let me ask you this, folks, where does the money for these wages, where do the resources that provide this health care, where does the labor force come from? It comes from the oppressed and working people of the global south. So when we in the global north fight for higher wages, fight for pensions and pay time off, only... We are fighting for a continued privilege of the first world workers over the global south. We fight for a continued heightening of imperialism and world plunder. Now, I know this is difficult, and I know, you know, this might seem almost contradictory to, to you know, maybe some things I've said before where we have to align with the workers and the oppressed people to fight however they are willing and able to fight for whatever gains and uh, concessions that they are able to win over. And this is true. But hear me clearly here, my friends. The point is not only to fight for these uh, concessions. The point is, in fact, to use these concessions, to use these gains as a jumping-off point to show the workers that even if they have better health care, even if they have a higher wage, as Marx said, they have only succeeded in attaining themselves gold-plated chains. Because at the end of the day, the ruling class is still in charge. At the end of the day, your entire ability to feed yourself, to have health care, to have housing, to have these things is based off of your willingness to sell your labor on a day-to-day basis to your employers. We must side with and fight along with the working and oppressed people, but we must constantly educate, propagandize, and agitate for the purpose of proletarian struggle, of the class struggle, of revolution. Because you and I know that it is the proletarian revolution which is solely capable of eradicating the foundational uh, starting point for the issues and inequality that the people of the world are facing. It is only a socialist society which can truly guarantee the gains that the people need, which can guarantee The power and the wealth of a nation going to its own sustenance and going towards actually aiding other socialist and revolutionary movements. Because in a socialist society, it is the working and oppressed people who are in power. Not the ruling class. So when the ruling class decides not to pass this, you know, random bill that we would like, when the ruling class decides not to elect the politician that we wanted, it doesn't actually uh, provide us with an avenue, uh, then we must see for real revolutionary change. It provides us an opportunity for temporary improvements, but as we see time and time again, you have one politician come in, pass a law that helps some people for two, three, four years, and then the next person comes in and revokes that bill. We don't want that. We don't want the ability for the ruling class to take back what we have produced for them. We want to be in control of what we produce. We, the working people, need to be in power in, or- in order to guarantee the things that the working class needs to them. Because, again... The interests of the ruling class which is in power through the exploitation and suppression of the working class whose surplus value and labor the ruling class steals in order to amass a wealth which goes towards perpetuating their power is not something which can be manipulated or uh uh appeased or consolidated in a way that the interests of the ruling and owning class do not directly contradict with the interests and needs of the working and oppressed class If you're still listening to this I want to thank you very much because guess what you are my hope because at the end of the day I am so fucking isolated I am out in the middle of nowhere. There's barely anyone out here. I'm trying to get organized. I'm trying to join up with folks. I personally uh, am currently trying to um, seek out the PSL. Um, So you folks should check them out. Um, At the end of the day, the PSL is a Marxist-Leninist organization um, and is one of the uh, closest things... It, you know cuz some folks want to say a lot of different things about the PSL unless you're in the PSL you know honestly i don't think you should be speaking about it unless in your area you have clear reasons why as not to you know stand alongside the PSL but i think the PSL provides a real opportunity and a real organization for workers and oppressed people in the united states to plug into and make their own and be able to use the tools of Marxism, of Marxism Leninism, to be able to use the tools of the organizational skills, uh, to be able to use the historical lessons which we have been, you know, keen and able to learn and employing those lessons in action today. I think the PSL poses a real opportunity for that. So that's what I'm doing. That's what's in my area. But I say you folks are my hope because. I like to learn. I like to read. I like to talk to people. And this podcast and my blog has provided me an opportunity not only to learn, and not only to, you know, propagandize, but also to meet incredible people. To be able to hear back from those who say, you know, you said this, but I disagree with this, and I'd like you to learn about this, and have been able to push me forward, have been able to critique and correct my mistakes, because, hey, if you're listening to this, uh, you should know, I'm gonna fuck up a lot. I'm a you know a regular working class person who gets just as confused and um, you know uh, uh, burnt out by the world around us as you do. Um, so I too will make mistakes, speak wrong, and I am the first person to say that call me out critique me because if I'm not going to do it you got to do it because the whole goal like we've been talking about is not simply to be mad it's not simply to be agitated but it's to be agitated and to know what to do about it to have correct understandings and to have a path that will actually lead towards proletarian revolution and achieving the goals of the working class so I want to be a part of that and to do so we got to be as correct as possible we have to learn from the mistakes of those who came before us and ourselves. We must have hope that by doing so, we can get ourselves and the masses to a point where we actually can solve this, where we can actually fix the problems capitalist, colonial, and imperialist society have created. Because. I today will tell you that I believe that is true. The Soviets believe that was true. The Chinese believe that was true. The folks in Burkina Faso believe that's true. The folks in Cuba, Nicaragua, Bolivia, Venezuela, all today, in vietnam in the democratic people's republic of korea they all believe this is a real possibility so let us stand in international and proletarian solidarity with the struggling masses of the world and say we the working people are capable able and need to be given the power to control our own communities and destiny and we must be able to do so by employing the tools of scientific socialism and historical and dialectical materialism thank you so much for listening i hope you will find me on social media i have tiktok twitter instagram and facebook so that you can reach out to me for whatever reason You can also email me at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com and you can find my blog at forliberation.wixsite.com forward slash website. Thank you again so much for listening, folks. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay revolutionary, and get organizing because the revolution is not going to build itself. Have a good one. We'll see you next time.